Hi, sexy listeners. I know you have questions about sex, love, and relationships, and I'm here to help. I want to hear about what you're going through in your life, and I want to answer all of your questions about sex. So The Trouble With Sex has launched Ask Dr. Tammy. Go to thetroublewithsex.com and click on Ask Dr. Tammy to send me your questions. I'm going to answer them directly on the podcast or during my new Instagram live events. Don't worry, we're going to keep your identity anonymous so you can be open and honest and ask me anything you want. Send your questions to thetroublewithsex.com, Ask Dr. Tammy. I'm here to give you advice, answer your questions, and help open your mind and your heart to help you improve your relationships and your sex life. This episode is dear to my heart. Today's guest is Susan Hardwick Smith. Dr. Susan is an award winning board certified obstetrician gynecologist and founder of one of the largest all-female OBGYN clinics in the country. And she's the author of Sexually Woke, Awakening the Secrets to Our Best Sex Lives in Midlife and Beyond. She is calling in from Houston. I'm so glad to have you, Dr. Susan. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I love your book. I'm looking at it right now. I love the title, Sexually Woke. It's fantastic. And I want to know more about what made you name it Sexually Woke. First of all, it's cool and hip. So it 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 definitely caught my eye. And I'm so curious about like what that means. Like what does Sexually Woke mean to you? And what made you call it that? What made you write this book? Yes. So that's a group of really good questions. Well, I'm not going to take credit for the title. I'll tell you a little bit of the backstory of the book, and then I'll tell you how the title came about. So I have been practicing OB-GYN for 22 years. I just recently retired from the group that you mentioned, actually, and now have a menopause specialty practice because I got so frustrated. I'm 53. I went through menopause at 46. And even as a gynecologist, I felt like I fell into this sort of hole where there was no help really being offered, even as a gynecologist. I mean, I was practicing, you know, as a menopause specialist, even at that time. And they're just... I don't think you can be a really good menopause specialist until you go through menopause. I always say, I, I wish I could go back and apologize to all the women that I talked to before and <laughs> no. said the wrong things. But, you know, being a woman in, and a gynecologist and going through menopause was such an incredible experience. And I had personally been in a pretty dull sexual relationship for 18 years with my ex-husband. And I just sort of thought was that was the way things were. And I'd sort of resigned myself to it. And I was surrounded by patients who were telling me that this was normal because patients were coming in saying they felt the same way. So we all had this kind of collective feeling of normalcy. And, and I love the idea that normal isn't always optimal, which I kind of clued into after I got divorced. So after I got divorced, miraculously, my sex drive came back. And I was so interested in this because I wondered is it just me? I thought, you know, maybe this is a midlife crisis. I didn't know what was going on. So I got really interested in listening for the occasional patient. And it really was an occasional patient who would come in and have a different story about having an amazing, vibrant sex life. And I had kind of been ignoring them, I guess, earlier on in my practice, because I didn't really want to know what I was missing. You know, when you're at the end of a marriage and you're sort of too scared to take that step, but I did. And so now I really wanted to know what this group had in common. So I did a big study and and long story short, 
the study surveyed very in-depth questions about our sexual life. And through that, I had a research group who were able to isolate this small group of women. It was only 7% of women between 45 and 65 who had a really vibrant relationship with sex and felt that sex was better than ever and really connected relationship. And I wanted to find them. So I did that through the study and then interview them and see if we could find out what they had in common. And maybe there was some thing that I could learn and then maybe even teach. And regarding your question about the title, one of the amazing women who I interviewed referred to herself this way. She said that she was sexually woke. And I just thought that was such a great description for what we were going through, the the waking up to possibility, you know, the waking up, the getting rid of that fog and the, you know, what I had lived through with just living in this sort of fog of dullness of being in a box and, and all kinds of metaphors came up about being in some kind of a box or a trap or a prison and then realizing that we have the key to it ourselves, that we could let ourselves out of it. And this, so there's so many metaphors about freedom and awakening and all these things came up in the interview. So I thought it was such a beautiful description. So sexually woke women, and I'm excited to be one of them now after many, many years of thinking that was impossible. Sexually woke women are just full of aliveness. And I love this idea of living in your full aliveness, like not cutting off part of ourselves just because we're getting older and saying, well, that's just over now, you know, menopausal. So, you know, I'm not going to be sexy because it's just not true. And so I'm also a coach. And so we often talk about limiting beliefs. And so there's all these limiting beliefs that we have about ourselves as we age, that we're no longer sexy. We're no longer relevant. Like we're not an important part of the culture anymore. And and that's so fud by the culture. It's like, move over, you're too old. You know, we want to have a younger newsreader or a younger front person because you're not sexy anymore. I mean, just nonsense. It's getting rid of those limiting beliefs. So the idea about waking up and, awakening and freedom all kind of tied together into this beautiful idea of just opening to possibility and making the second half of life better than the first. I mean, it just keeps getting better. I mean, there's no reason why life after 50 should be worse. I mean, who said that? Who, who said what the best age to be is? I mean, it's nonsense. We, we believe it. I like what you're saying. I like what you're saying a lot. And especially because we live so much longer now and we're healthy. We have the capacity to be healthier for so much longer. And a lot of us have back-to-back monogamous relationships. Right. And we, we have the time to, you know, let one relationship expire and have another great marriage. And I've heard a lot of women whose sex drive kind of shuts down and then reawakens magically after divorce, which is no coincidence. Yes. And so I really like what you're saying about being sexually woke, because I think there are times in your life when, for whatever reason, our sex drive goes to sleep. You know, it might be after kids, it could be because of illness or cancer, or it could be because of the relational reason, and it could be an emotional crisis, whatever. I really like the idea of, you know, you can wake up sexually, and there are ways Mm -hmm. to do it. And your book is kind of a map to, these are the things that lead to it. This is what happens. And this is how you wake up. And there are some things in here I really, I really like. I really like the idea of that part of this is about finding your sexual self-worth. That's part mm-hmm. of like sexual self-esteem and also understanding 
sex and your brain. And then the other part that really stood out for me that I really like that you included is about sex and spirituality. I think that's mm-hmm. a big part of it that we don't focus enough on. And I really like how you wove that into being sexually woken up. Yeah. And so I went through this experience you know, having gone through it and then talking to so many women. And it's so, we're all so unique and different. And yet we, we share these common threads and there was so much commonality in the stories, even though they were from gay, straight, all different races, big age range, 45 to 65. But the commonalities were, were really based in this idea of connection. So, you know, why do we have sex when we're not fertile anymore? Like this, you know, part of us that's still an animal. So when we're, you know, we're younger, we have sex to procreate, right? And so the things that we find sexier about having a good breeder, basically. And I, I married someone who was a good breeder and that's what many of us do. But it wasn't so much about connection. That wasn't even something I understood until later. So why do we have sex when we're not fertile anymore? What's the point? And so it's, it's almost a totally different kind of sex, I found there's the sex we have when we're younger and there's the sex we have when we're not fertile anymore. And because menopause kind of sits right in the middle of that, it's this wonderful kind of, you know, so many people are afraid of menopause, but I think menopause is so magical. It's this opportunity to shift to this openness to possibility about sex being no longer, you know, just for procreation or just for just to have an orgasm or to get power or control or all the reasons why we have sex when we're younger. It's an opportunity to really connect with someone in this magical space, which really is, you know, there's so many definitions of spirituality, but it really is a spiritual experience, not to kind of sound too strange. But I don't think that's strange at all. I think you're absolutely right. And I think the older you get, the more you appreciate that and the more you can get into that space and understand that, what that means. Well, you need some wisdom, right? I mean, and, and I, I had no wisdom when I was 20. Who does? But the amazing thing about getting to be a little bit older is we have some wisdom. You know, we've got some life experience. We've learned how to control our emotions. Hopefully we've learned how we tick. And so one of the most important things that the Sexually Woke group shared was that actually the most important thing was to really deeply know yourself. Because if I don't really know myself, and I'm not talking, you know, partly talking about what pleasures me and being able to communicate that. I mean, if I'm having a crappy sex life, I've got to take some responsibility for the fact that I haven't communicated very well what it is that I like. Well, even if I have, he's not doing it. Well, that might be a good time for him to leave. But in my case, I really hadn't communicated it. So I've got to own that. So now I'm in an amazing space where I know what I like sexually. I can comfortably talk about it. I can show my partner what that is. It's not a scary thing to do because I know myself and I know, I know what my boundaries are. I know what I need. So I'm not going to get into a relationship that's codependent or something unhealthy. I, I know how to look out for that. So it, it's just so, I use the word freedom a lot. There's just amazing freedom of living in this space where you know yourself, you can ask for what you want without shame. You can set boundaries and stick with them. And, and that's where it's really connected. And, you know, and I like the idea of spirituality being just a deep understanding that we're all really interconnected, how, whatever our religion or beliefs are. I think that's sort of universally understood that being intimately connected with one other human kind of gives us this portal into understanding connection with everything. And so I've really experienced sex in that way now since I'm not fertile anymore. It's about connecting which is so beautiful and so fun and so limitless. And you can get out of this box if I'm supposed to be this way and I can only do this and I can't do that to be, you know, once you break the walls of that box 
open, there's just space, you know, and I can do anything. So can you give us some advice for younger women as this woman of wisdom and uh, this woke woman? What would you tell women who are maybe in their 20s and just starting out in their sexual life, just finding themselves, who want to communicate with their partner, who want to have connection and pleasure and focus on their sexual self-esteem. What would you tell them? What's some advice you could give them? Younger women in their 20s, I think, are so much more educated about this stuff than I was. I mean, there's so much more out there. So they're starting at a much better place. I'm so happy about that. Even my 16-year-olds know way more about sex than I did when I was probably 30. But really learning to love themselves and to honor their body and to practice self-stimulation and enjoy, you know, this body that we were given that has this amazing capacity for pleasure. And the clitoris has absolutely no purpose at all except pleasure. So get to know it. It's not just the little tiny butt of the clitoris. As you know, I mean, the clitoris is a massive organ that most of us don't even understand. I mean, do look at the clitoral anatomy and, and just explore this amazing gift that we were given and all the other erotic zones and do it on your own. Like spend time, a lot of time with self-pleasure and learning what you love and then being really confident about communicating that to somebody else. And you can do that when you're 25, if you're braver and more mature than I was. But women in my age, we, we weren't given that information and now it's out there. So I would just like love it and run with it and learn all about yourself. And doesn't matter what size you are. That has nothing to do with it. I mean, being sexy to me is all about confidence and knowing yourself. Get off social media. Stop trying to be someone that you're not. Learn who you are and just be you and just love being you and just go all in on being you. Find out who you are and just be it. And if some people don't like it, move them out of your life. Move you know, on to the next person. <laughs> Right, exactly. I mean, just have boundaries that you stick by. I mean, those are things that I teach younger women um, in coaching. I I was very bad at boundary setting. Uh, Many of us were when we were younger, just because I I wanted people to love me and I would sort of do anything to get love and just to not do that. Don't honor yourself enough to, to not fall down that trap because you're so lovable and you're a miracle. I mean, we all are. And to just honor that and to not cut out sex and, and think that something, whatever we've been taught to try to challenge the conditioning that we've learned from our church or our parents or places that might put a negative view on sex and just honor that it's this amazing gift that we were given. And I want to learn all, I want to use all the gifts that I was given. You know, and I have an idea about living in your full aliveness and our full aliveness is everything that you are, you know, don't cut out your creative side your sexual side or any side, just be big, be you. And learn yourself so you can teach it to other people. It's the best way to have a great sex life. Even if you're single, you can have amazing sex life if you're single. We'll be right back. Sexy listeners, we know you're out there, but we want to know more about you. And we want to know about your relationships and your concerns about sex. If you want to spare just a couple minutes, take our listener survey at the TroubleWithSex.com homepage. Click on the survey link and just type in your email. So please visit thetroublewithsex.com right now to take our survey. So how do you move from struggling with your self-esteem, struggling with that, those struggles with your body, if you've been through a crisis, like a health crisis? So you've been through cancer, you've been through illness, 
you've had a miscarriage, you know, you as Dr. Susan, how would you help people to move to the next place to be in their pleasure, to enjoy themselves, to heal? Yeah. One of the chapters in the book is about sex and physical illness, because that really does come up, especially as we get older. You know, it's also not necessarily as we get older, but cancer and other physical illnesses and limitations of the body. I mean, things things change. And so I have just recently in the past five years, just had a really deep understanding of the impermanence of everything and that things are changing, but it doesn't mean they're getting worse. And sometimes things feel really unpleasant. I've had a miscarriage. I mean, devastating. And people die, terrible things happen in pandemics. Learning to be what I call being the flagpole and not the flag, just like developing that stability internally so that we can handle whatever comes at us without being blown around and put off, you know, knocked off balance. So when these difficult things come at us that we can, you know, maintain our inner stability because we have that love that comes from inside and it's not dependent on external sources. So if my happiness is dependent on not having a miscarriage or not getting cancer or not getting older or not getting wrinkles, it's a precarious position because those things are going to happen, but just developing that internal happiness and core strength that you kind of handle whatever comes at you, even these really tough things. And I, you know, I talked to a lot of women who'd been through these things, cancer, or maybe the husband had prostate cancer and wasn't able to perform sexually in the traditional way anymore, or things that just, you know, really changed the way the couple had to approach their sex life, but it didn't necessarily make it worse. It was just different. And so, you know, you're going to be changing. So when we're 90, are we going to be able to have vaginal? And of course, you know, maybe not, but we'll be able to do other things. And so I sort of expanded what I uh, call sex. It's not just, you know, penis and vagina. That's, that's one kind, but there's just a huge menu. It's just really physical, intimate connection And it could be, you know, touching or hugging or stroking or all kinds of things. And it changes over time. I mean, what I liked when I was 20 isn't going to be what I like when I'm 90. And we can get through these tough times if we have that inner stability and takes a lot of work. And I don't think you can get it when you're 20, but it takes about 50 years, (laughs) plus or minus. It takes about 50 years to not be the flag and be the flagpole. (laughs) Yeah. You get blown around a lot when you're younger. I really like that. You do. Doctor, I want to know what you think is the biggest trouble with sex today. Ooh, that's a good question. The biggest trouble with sex today. Social media. Oh, great answer. Especially for younger women. I I don't spend much time on social media. I'm 53. I have three teenagers. And so they're not sexually active yet, uh, as far as I know. But just this constant drip feed of not enoughness, this illness that's so pervasive of being not enough, that's fed to us by various sources in order to get us to buy things. And I'm aware of this and you are because we're grownups that this is being fed to us in order to get us to purchase things. And if we were happy with ourselves, we wouldn't buy very much because I'm, I'm kind of fine as I am. I don't do a lot of shopping anymore. I don't need to go buy a diamond ring to feel better anymore. And so my consumerism's dropped quite a bit since I got happier. So there's a lot of emphasis put on making us feel not enough. So as far as sexuality, that, that's one of the main places that being not enough shows up. It's such a personal, vulnerable space. And when we're fed images of people who apparently look perfect and on Facebook, everybody's family looks perfect and we know they're not, but think that, you know, we, we portray ourselves in a way that's not accurate in order to make ourselves better than others. And in any way, there's this division where we're trying to make ourselves better than or, or seeing that other people are better than. That's just a libido killer, just this, this comparison. I mean, we have to be genuinely connected 
to want to be intimately connected with another person and not be competing with something wrong that holds us back from being really free in our sexual experience. I have a lot of patients who never have sex with the lights on because they're ashamed of the way they look. I have patients whose husband has not seen them naked in 30 years because they're ashamed of their body. And that not enoughness, I think, is the biggest problem with sex that's fed by not just social media, but just uh, culture. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that a lot. And we have a question from a listener who says, I'm in perimenopause. My cycle's all over the place, and so is my desire. My wife is younger and doesn't really understand what I'm experiencing. I know what I like and I'm in a good relationship, but I feel really disconnected from my body. What do you suggest? Yeah, I felt disconnected. I I resonate with that. I really do. I know that feeling of being disconnected from your body when you're going through menopause. It feels like your body's sort of betraying you. Uh, It's for me that I, I didn't know what was happening or what to expect and that hormonal ups and downs, just one day's good and the next one's not what do I suggest? So perimenopause, I would find a really good physician. And I I don't mean to be sexist, but probably I would choose a female or someone who's in the age group that might've been through this because they're going to have a deeper understanding and empathy. I think Uh, some very good male physicians too, but you know, there's something about being, having gone through it that helps us to relate. And then, you know, maybe consider getting on something to optimize your hormones to make it a little bit easier. I'm personally on hormone replacement. I know people have different views about that, but changed my life very positively. And so there are certainly things that can be done in perimenopause to even out those ups and downs and feeling more understood. It's a very tricky time going through this when your partner's not going through it, whether you're, you know, homosexual, heterosexual, doesn't matter, that they don't understand. And it can feel very invalidating when you're told that you're crazy or this happened to me that I'm having a midlife crisis or I'm just crazy or it's, it's very invalidating. It makes us question our own sanity. I mean, it's tough to go through this. It changes it's everything. Because you do feel crazy. <laughs> oh, I, I was worried about being crazy. I mean, yeah, for sure you feel crazy. And, um, but there are things that can be done to help with those things. You know, hormone optimization can definitely help. And just talking to other women who've been through it, I have a women's circle, which is wonderful. That's once a month. And it's such an amazing place to what you're doing is incredible too. just giving a space where people can talk about this. I think being around other people who've been through it just is, gives so much peace just to normalize it. Yes, me too. I know what that feels like. That's really important. And then working towards some very safe, healthy solutions that can help you to feel better because you don't have to feel bad in menopause anymore. There are some amazing safe treatments that can just lift that fog and help you to feel like your old self again. Yeah. And then I want to go back just for a moment to the the male issue of prostate problems because it's, you know, in some ways it really does echo this issue that women go through as men age and their prostates deteriorate, if you will, and they have problems and sometimes they have to be removed. And it really does affect their sexuality and their sexual performance and creates all kinds of sexual dysfunction. And I think so many doctors don't fill them in on what's going to happen and they kind of minimize the sexual effects. And I think that affects their female partners and their male partners too, but their female partners who are disappointed and don't know how to deal with it and don't know how to empathize and don't know how to talk about it with their partner or their doctor. And they don't know what to do going forward. I wonder if you have some thoughts about it because you did mention it before. 
Yeah. So, you know, my primary patients are female, but I do see a lot of men now in this uh, new practice that I'm in that focuses on midlife sexuality, because of course the woman will come in and it has to be balanced. And the, her partner, he's a man, you know, for one person's got an amazing sex drive and the other one doesn't, there's a, there's a big disconnect. So, you know, men have erectile dysfunction. It's extremely common, low testosterone as they get older. So although they don't go through a, a true menopause, like we do, where, where our ovaries just stop functioning and our hormones crash. Men go through a, a slow progressive decline of testosterone that can cause erectile dysfunction and loss of interest in sex. And so they, they are really challenged too. And, and those things can be corrected with hormone optimization. You know, prostate cancer is often, you know, really tough on sexual function afterwards. I mean, it may never return in the way that it was before, but you know, having these conversations around it, prostate cancer happens. Sometimes men afterwards are not able to have an erection and experience sex the way they did before. But I talked to many couples who've been through this and they, I don't mean to minimize prostate cancer by any means. It's cancer. We don't want it. But many couples who actually felt that after the experience of going through cancer, their relationships were closer. One story I remember really well, it's in the book, is that after one of the things that happens after prostate cancer is you have to do some physical therapy. Like it's a use it or lose it don't thing type of a thing. So the partner of the cancer patient had to really be in touch with his feelings and learning to touch him in a different way and to be super in tune with what he was feeling to help him to have an erection. And previously she just sort of laid on her back and they'd had sex and she hadn't participated, but now she got to be the one to, you know, really take charge. And they got super close around this and their sex life changed, but they would need, neither of them said it was worse. It was just different and actually much more connected. So it's uh, again, going back to that impermanence and realizing that the way we experience sex is going to change over time, but it's not worse. It's different. And often it's better. It's just new. It doesn't have to end. We have a, a joke. We always say at work, you know, your sex drive isn't dead. It's just taking a nap and you can wake it up. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not dead. If you think it's dead, I would challenge you. That's a limiting belief. It's not dead. It's still there. It's just, hidden for some reason and it can be rediscovered. Nice. And it might be different, but it could be there. Yeah. It, it probably will be different because everything's different, right? But different often is uh, better. It's like, you know, it can be, you know, better and worse are just judgments. But it, if we're expecting it to stay the way when, as it was when we were 20, then we'll be disappointed because it won't be the same. But if we're expecting that it's going to change and we can sort of walk into this change with an open mind and an open heart and just love the change, it's like, yeah, this is different now. And for me, it's so much better because it's like, I'm free now. I, I can be free. I can do what I want. I can just, I can talk about what I want. It's beautiful. And I, I feel I'm 53 and honestly, my sex life is better than it's way better than it's ever been. And I just think it'll keep getting better because I keep learning new things. There's no reason I'm not special. I just like every other woman and we can all have that. And I learned it from this amazing group. So I'm super grateful for them participating in these interviews that led to the book. So Susan, how can people find out more about you and where can they find your book and how can they reach you if they want more information? Easiest website is drsusan.com, D-R-S-U-S-A-N.com. And that talks about all of my services, including the book and my practice, which is now just strictly based on midlife wellness, menopausal health and sexual health which is super fun because that's what I love to do and talk about. So drsusan.com and then Sexually Woke is on Amazon and all the other places where you buy books. 
And if you want to hear me talking for eight hours, it's an audiobook too. You can listen to in the car. I see patients by telemedicine as well as in person. So a lot of my patients don't live in Houston. Thank you, Dr. Susan. I really appreciate you being on The Trouble with Sex today. And if you want to find out more about Dr. Susan Hardwick-Smith or you want her book, Sexually Woke, Awaken Your Best Sex, Midlife and Beyond, you can find her at drsusan.com. Until next time, stay healthy, stay sexy, stay well. I'm Dr. Tammy. Have a question about your relationship, your sex life, or sexual wellness? Visit thetroublewithsex.com and click on Ask Dr. Tammy to send me your question. For sex-positive tips, live events, and updates, join my mailing list and follow us at The Trouble With Sex on Instagram. The Trouble With Sex is produced by Brandy Savitt and Jane Applegate. Our audio is designed by Flavor Lab, New York City. This episode was recorded by Bruce Hirschfield, edited by Julia Skubish, and mixed by J.C. Chow. Music by Bruce Hirschfield.